your boots on. Pick up your walking papers, take off your dancing shoes. Get a big slice of humble pie or a dose of the traveling blues. Here comes Chucky Tim, get your drinking boots on. Here comes Chucky Tim, get your drinking boots on. Oh. And welcome, everybody, back to The McNeil Show. It is Friday, October 20th, 2017, and we are back after a two-week hiatus of sorts. Uh, we've been running into some personal issues along with time time problems and the Indians losing and everything. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris McNeil. How's it going, Chris? Podcast night in America. Once again, Alaire. Ready? It's good to be back. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we're joined again by Bree. How's it going, Bree? Hello, boys. Happy to be back. Good to have you back. We've we've missed uh, talking to you guys. I've missed talking to you guys. It's Me been a while. Too. It, we're still without Cam, unfortunately. Cam is uh, has real life responsibilities, apparently. So <laughs> he won't be with us today. He should be back somewhat soon, uh, hopefully. Today is also our first international podcast. We are joined from Ireland by King Kaufman, who is the host of his own podcast, Can't Win for Loser. Can't Win for Losing, my bad. And he's joining us from Ireland today. How's it going, King? It's going well. And I just want to, uh, I just want to assure everyone that I'm not Irish. I'm just in Ireland. Can you do an Irish accent for us? Yeah, no. Uh, I don't think I can. <laughs> you know, it would come out kind of German, and then like everybody I know who's Irish, which is like everybody I've been talking to for the last four or five days, would be like, that was, that was terrible. Do you not listen to us at all? And so, no. I'm not doing it. Good call. That was probably a smart move on your part. Yeah. I'm just setting you up for failure there. Yeah. So how long have you been over there now? Uh, I've been over here for... for uh, I kind of lose track of the time, uh, but I, I think I've been here for four days. It was a quick trip. I came over here for a, a journalism conference on Monday, and I'm leaving on Friday, which I think is tomorrow. So I think it's Thursday. So I've been here for whatever that is, three days. Confused the whole time about what the hell day it is, especially when <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I'm in a... I'm in a Especially bar. when it's 1 a.m. and you're recording a podcast. And, yeah, or it's 3 a.m. and I'm you know, trying to follow the baseball game on my phone. And why are they playing a baseball game at 3 a.m. and it's a day game? <laughs> so we have to talk about the Indians, unfortunately. I'm going to let Chris and Bree take the lead on this because they were at the games. I was not. I was watching from home. But uh, it, it did not end well for the Indians. So I'll let them talk about it. Go well, ahead. Well, thank you for alluding to that, first of all. Yeah, there, no. there. I'll tell you. Well, I think, King, tell us a little bit about what you do in terms of your podcast, because I think that really uh, kind of feeds well into what we've got with the Indians, unfortunately. This will be a good segue, as yeah. we say. Segue. In the, in the that's, that's the um, radio business. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my podcast is called Can't Win for Losing. And it's a podcast about losing. Uh, and I, I look at lo- lo- losing from all sides and, you know, both sides now. And uh, one of the episodes, the current one, as we speak, it's a weekly show and it's produced documentaries. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's not uh, pe- fun people sitting around talking like this and it's not someone calling somebody on the phone and interviewing them. It's more like, you know, documentaries. And uh, the current one is about 
teams or cities that had just lose and lose and lose forever, and then they finally win a championship. And that happened to two teams last year. You may have heard of one of them, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that was the first uh, Cleveland championship of any kind since, I'm sure you know, 1964. And then also the Chicago Cubs, who hadn't won. You may have heard this, too, since 1908. And so I've got two authors, Scott Rabb, uh, who's written two books about the Cavs, and LeBron James and his obsession with both. And uh, Barry Gifford, who's a novelist, a noir novelist, who's written a lot of uh, books and screenplays that have this very dark vision. And uh, maybe, coincidentally, that came from uh, spending 69 of his 70 years as a uh, the fan of a team that never, ever, ever wins a championship. And so uh, that's where we're at this week is Cleveland and the Cubs and, and winning at long last. And I also pay a visit. I paid a visit to the uh, championship parade of my own team, the Golden State Warriors, who. Um, oh, is you that know, really your team? Because that is that really was my not team. told to me when we booked you on this show. <laughs> You're the Golden State Warriors. That's not, not even fair. Wow. I'm not an because idiot. Of course, I played up the Ireland angle, not the Warriors. <laughs> that's right. Oh, oh. Oh, we're going to have words. We're going to have words. Yeah. So the Warriors, uh, who, just, you know, they do nothing but win championships, except when they let Cleveland all right, win one. All right, all right, all right. Uh, but for many, many years, they were they were ridiculously horrible. And um, and so, you know, I went I went and interviewed fans at the at the uh, parade looking for, you know, longtime fans who go back to Joe Barry Carroll and the 80s, nice, and nice, yeah. did not find any. Um, <laughs> but I, did, I did find some people who've been Shocking. rooting for the Warriors since way back in 2014, though, so that was great. <laughs> Jeez. So, do you, as a Golden State Warriors fan, do you think that the, uh, the, the jokes that we used to tell on Twitter about the Warriors bl- blowing a 3-1 lead, do you think that yeah. that has really cursed us as a city? No, because, you know, because you, you, you had a perfectly fine 52 years of not winning without those, before those jokes existed. So, no, I don't think so. I, I think everybody who wins a championship gets to, like, stick their thumbs in their ears and, and wag their tongue at everybody else who didn't win the championship. That's the way it should be, and, and that's the way it is, and you, I don't think you have to pay for that. Completely agree. By the way... I don't know if any of my co-hosts who are still here. I think are you guys still here? Shocked them into silence with that. I think. No, I'm still here. I'm still recovering from him being a Golden State fan. I don't know how to get over that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is great content, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was distracted. My three-year-old daughter just freaking came strolling down the stairs. Like, hey, Ma, what's up? <laughs> that's the power of the warriors right there so yeah funny. man i'm focused i'm focused so let's let's talk briefly about the indians then because as you've said it's a good segue right into what we're talking about i i i don't know exactly what happened i, I mean, actually i mean i know exactly what happened but i'm not going to say it because it'll just piss off chris and brie so why don't you guys talk about it well, it's been almost a week. No, it has been a week, right? We're, we're at a week now. Yeah, it has been a week. week. That's exactly Since right. Since the loss. I was at game five 
unfortunately. Hey, wait, first off, talk about how you got to game five. <laughs> that, that's an even better story. <laughs> oh, hey, Bree, okay. yeah, yes. what, yeah. what did you have to do to get to game five? What oh, unfortunate thing did you have to do? What do you mean, what unfortunate thing did I have to do? Just asking. Okay, so who was so... responsible on the Cleveland Indians for you to get to game five? <laughs> Trevor Bauer, the man. No. Yep. And what happened? I was going to say, do I want to give context or not? Okay, so here's Maybe the you story. Shouldn't. Maybe you should. I mean, it's no. up to you. It's up to you. You've got a family. Oh, my gosh. Not at all. Okay, so, and we've talked about that before, by the way. That's not my style. Anyway, so last Wednesday, I was at work. I had a dentist appointment. I had a cavity I had to get filled. So really exciting. So I was leaving. Hopped onto Twitter really quick, saw that Trevor Bauer had posted a contest to win tickets to the game. So I don't know if you guys saw, but he released the mini ball t-shirt. And the contest was essentially you had to post a picture of yourself wearing the t-shirt. So I realized that I bought the t-shirt. It was actually three sizes too large because they didn't have my size. So I was like, I'm going to throw this on, wear it as a dress, and tweet it at him. And so I did. And then I won. And I was not expecting to win, actually, at all. But I did. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> okay. If anybody wants to see the picture, it is totally appropriate. And I wore it to the game. So that was that. So now me and Trevor are besties via Twitter. <laughs> obviously. Why are you obviously. laughing, way guys? To, way, to, way to pull us through, by the way. Thank you. What do you mean? You know, I know. You mean at the game? Yeah, at the game. Yeah. Yeah, how did that turn so we out? Were, so we were in the family section, um, which was actually really interesting. Um, I think Trevor's brother and dad was right in front of us, and then uh, Brian Shaw's parents were right behind us. Literally, the, literally, it looked just like Brian Shaw. Um, and then Cody Allen's family was a couple of rows behind us. So it was an interesting area to be in watching the game because, you know, Obviously, the nervous energy in the stadium was there, but being in that section specifically when families are watching the game was a whole new level. So, obviously, it didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to, and it was really frustrating that all of our big players didn't come to play. But now we have the Cavs. I'm over it. There's always next year. Wow. So, how about that mentality, King, about... a just a fan base kind of moving on. Like you've seen it many times where the one team doesn't really live up to expectations. And then the next team comes in. Did you guys explore that at all? There, sure. Uh, I mean, we explore everything, but uh, I think that there's uh, denial going on there. You know, that thing of like, oh well, oh, well, it's not so bad. We'll wait till, you know, there's always next year. And uh, and then I think it kind of like you know it's gonna hit later. It's like damn it, this team won twenty three thousand straight games there in August. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I feel like you're gonna look back, and maybe like in a few years, you're gonna, be, you're gonna forget, and then you're gonna be reminded that they won all those games in a row. And you're like, dang it, why didn't they win the championship? I don't know. Just a well, theory. It's the same thing for you. Yeah, yeah, with Golden State being a fan there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, that, you that, said... that was last year. Yeah, I mean yeah. that team was 
you know, they, that was the team that won the most games of all time. I mean, it was just like, it almost was like uh, you weren't believing it when you were watching them lose those three games. Uh, it just did not seem possible. It was it was one of a string of things in that series of six months or so that things that seemed impossible happened. Uh, and which, from my point of view, many of them were very unfortunate. Well, I think the win streak and the best season, the best season, isn't it kind of a moot point now? Like, in my opinion, it doesn't matter anymore, knowing that they the couldn't. Win yeah, I mean, I, I love yeah. the win streak. I think it was great being a part of it. But now it's it's kind of irrelevant, right? Because the season's over. We're not going to win the championship. And it feels like the Yankees are actually doing what Cleveland kind of did last year, where they, they surprised everyone, probably shouldn't have went as far as we went, and we did. So, just frustrating. It, I, I, at the risk of alienating you guys even further... Um, <laughs> oh, oh, please do. I don't think this will do it, because people don't have that strong feelings about this. I'm also an Oakland A's fan, and it was the Oakland yeah. A's record that they broke and the A's similarly did not win the championship that year. And I can tell you looking that, that back was on the it whole and it's plot. That was the whole end of Moneyball. Of Moneyball. Yes. They did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also like it's Which been was like, BS. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> Moneyball or just the fact that that was No, the, no, I, I believe in Moneyball. Broke. I believe in many of the concepts. I just believe the movie was just BS. Yeah, yeah. They, they sort of like and they I sort think of it's... neglected the part about how the A's had three amazing pitchers. Exactly, they didn't even make it onto the screen. Exactly, and a horrible but song. Looking back at Billy Bean's years, daughter, can we talk about Billy Bean's daughter there? And sure. how horrible that song remember. was. You don't. <laughs> have you listened I, to this? I, I feel like I shut that movie out. I watched yeah. it. Well, we'll go watch it again. For it. And then if you listen to it, it's just so horrible. I mean, it's just, okay, go ahead. I'm glad that the Indians took that record is all I'm saying. <laughs> and I think that um, this is now opposite of what I said before, but as an A's fan, looking back, whatever that is, 15 years, that 20 game winning streak uh, or 22 games, whatever it was, like that's a really fond memory. That was, that was really fun. And whenever, whenever you're reminded of it, which, you know, I was, we all were this summer, when the Indians broke it, it was like, damn, man, that was great, wasn't it? I mean, just they just kept winning, and it was great. And I think the Indians one was was like that too. They had some really dramatic ones, and and I think that is something that even though they didn't win the championship, you're gonna look back fondly on. I don't no. know about you, Chris, no, I but I would so. trade that 22 win streak to still be playing right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You're completely wrong on this. We need we need a championship for the Indians. I mean, there's no doubt. Okay. Not nineteen forty eight. Last time the Indians won the World Series. So that, that is a while. That is, is a while. Like I was saying to people, I, I think this was we had some great memories and we had the same thing last year. Great memories, not a great season though. We had expectations this year. Last year was completely different. And uh I, I I really think that we failed to meet those expectations by not, first of all, advancing past the first round. And then, you know, I thought we were going to win it all. I really did. And uh, so it was disappointing. It's definitely fascinating. I think one of the things that's fascinating about losing is how, how context matters, where, 
You right. know, if you're coming off a great season and you have a, a what in, you know, probably 60 of those, however many that is, 68 seasons since 1948, this would have been considered an amazing season. And uh, but yet you just walk away. Uh, you're s- sort of jaded already. Uh, you walk away going like, oh, it wasn't a championship that, you know, you're thinking like a Yankees fan now. And uh, it, that's that's not unique to you. Everybody does that. And uh, and the same thing happens in the other direction. You have two bad seasons in a row. And it's like, we've never won anything and we never will. This is uh, this is a, a torture. And, you know, two years ago we were in the playoffs. So do you ever have like while you were doing this? the podcast, did you have a, have a profound moment where you're like, wow, I get it. There's something different. You're thinking about losing and winning and everything kind of in a different way. I was, uh, I, I, I did not, I have never had a profound moment in my life. I'm still waiting on that one. Sorry about Um, that. But, uh, I was sort of surprised when I, when I had the idea to do the podcast and I started, kind of uh, brainstorming stories and, and figuring stuff out. I thought that as I started contacting people to, to interview them about their losing stories, that I would not get very far with, with a lot of people. You know, I, I did a story about the, the first year of the Washington Capitals when they had the worst NHL team in history by far, and they were just completely horrible. And I called several of their players, and I thought it would be like, we don't want to talk about that. Um, and they were very receptive and very happy to talk. And, and it just, it happened over and over that I would call people and they were, they were perfectly happy to talk about their, you know, being on the worst team or their, you know, their heartbreaking um, defeat that, you know, came from something stupid they did and, or, you know, just whatever it was. Um, I was, that, that was the most surprising thing to me. And I, I think that's something that, um, elite that elite athletes have where they um they have that ability to recover from terrible things happening mentally and you see it within the game and you see it like from day to day in their lives where you know you miss the free throw that would have won the game you know on national tv and you know in the championship you know I think you and I would be 30 years later still not able to get out of bed and that's running through our mind and you know an NBA player or a, a top NCAA player, the next day is like, yeah, I've already forgotten about it. And, I, and so I think that that, that, that kind of um, showed itself in these interactions where, you know, they were just happy to talk about it. Was it like it was therapeutic for them or what was the, the common bond there, the common theme? I think uh, the common theme was, I mean, I don't think that anybody... I'm trying to think of over the whole season. I, I've created 12 shows. And it's a season that I created and uh, four have aired so far. And uh, I, I, I'm trying to think, but I don't think anybody is fresh. Like nobody is just like within a few months of, of whatever the event was. So they've all had time in their lives to process it. Yeah. And they, they mostly have used it. And, and uh, you know, I just want to say right off the bat here that, you know, the show is not like inspirational stories of overcoming adversity. It's not it's not about that. But they have all sort of incorporated it into their lives. And 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 they all say things like, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but I'm glad it happened the way it did, because that's who I am now. And, and uh, so I think that was that that's sort of the 
the main takeaway that people have. And, you know, these are the people also who are willing to talk about it. I mean, right. there were some so, people who didn't so want to return. So who have you had on? Who have you had on who, who have talked about this and shared their stories? Well, so far, uh, the four stories that have aired, uh, the one about the Washington Capitals, uh, this one about the Cavs and the, and the Cubs. I had one about Casey Stengel, who, of course, had the, you know, the greatest managerial run ever in the 50s with the Yankees. Before that, in the 30s, he managed terrible Braves and uh, Dodgers teams. Um, and there's a line of thinking, which I adhere to also, that says that he, the things that he learned by losing in the 30s made him the manager that he was in the 50s. And then after that, just for fun, he went and managed the worst team of all time with the Mets after he was done with the Yankees. So he's which is which is kind of a of funny concept a, in Cleveland. You think about Bill Belichick, right? Late yes. 90s. yeah, he yep. cut his teeth yeah. rounds. Obviously, I mean, and they moved. There and, is there's nobody who escapes this. Everybody loses. You know the the you know except for the Patriots. <laughs> well, even the Patriots. I mean, they were they were going to be undefeated <laughs> that one year. You know, they've got their oh yeah, they lost to the Giants. That's too. right. Unbelievable catch. Sure. Yes. Well, I can't so, wait. Um, I can't wait until you get to do one about the Cleveland Browns winning a Super Bowl. How <laughs> yeah. great is I love that. Will right? I be? I will that. I be alive? Is the question. <laughs> I don't know. But did you tell King about our bet? And, of course, I know, didn't. I don't know. Do? I no. This is okay. It sounds even more ridiculous every single week that you bring it up. But go ahead, Chris. Please. I know. <laughs> no, 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 no! I still can't believe you came up with this prediction. I, I still can't believe it's a real oh, thing that you thought would happen. I know. August was so long ago. So, King, before the season, Bree said, "You know, the Browns are going to win, or they will be in the playoffs. They will be in the playoffs. The Cleveland Browns will be in the NFL playoffs <laughs> this year. Football. This year in football. football. Yeah, in, yeah, in football." And I said, okay. That is bull. Let's bet. Can I, Let's bet. Are you sure that I said this year? Can we roll, can we roll back the tape? 100% <laughs> sure. I think she was, there in, odds? She was emboldened by the fact that we went 4-0 in the preseason. I think that really got her going. And then, and then and I even told her the only – the last team to go – well, the other team that went 4-0 the preseason was the Detroit uh, Lions. The Lions. The Lions went 0-16, but went 4 on the preseason. She's like, no, but this is different. I'm like, I don't think it is. Uh, I put all my faith and trust in Deshaun Kaiser, who is now starting this week, but did not start last week. I mean. I, I still don't understand that. That makes zero sense to me. I saw that announcement, and I'm like, this, they just have to be doing a coin flip at this point. Like, there's no way that they're actually making this decision every week. Oh, we're going to start this guy. We're going to start this guy. There's no way. I love that. Then again, this is I the love the consistency in this organization. I mean, it just really makes me feel good, right? It makes, me feel, consistently good. Bad. It makes me feel good about the parade. Like, the only consistent thing, it was last year, we were talking about a parade. This year, we're talking about a parade. That's the only consistent thing. So explain the, explain the parade yeah, to King, because he doesn't King know about know? that. Yeah, so if we go 0-16, we're having a parade. We're going to have a Who's parade. Who's we? Who's going to throw the parade? We well, are. You, yeah, you guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, we are throwing a parade. Yeah. And it's approved by the city of Cleveland. It's like an actual thing that's happening. Um, it w- it almost happened last year, obviously. Right. Until um, game 15, we, spent, we played the yeah. uh, San Diego Superchargers, right? We, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? That's, we have, 
Yeah. I'll have a story about them next week. Oh, beautiful. After, beautiful. Because another side of losing is cities losing their team. Oh. So we have a story about oh, San Diego man. Chargers. We have San Columbus Diego. Crew might be going oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, also a, a, another kind of historical baseball thing. This will be the last one, but there were three right at the beginning. Uh, the St. Louis Browns, who moved out of St. Louis in 1954, and I talked to the president of the St. Louis Browns fan club and uh, also someone who is an, a, an author who was a St. Louis Browns fan as a kid and also one of the 14 living former Browns players whose name is Ed Mickelson and who was great. And so uh, that's that's next week's episode. And, and yes, the the uh, San Diego Superchargers yes. uh, sing-along chorus does possibly make a uh, an appearance in that episode. I have a question. So how do you find all of these people to interview, like the fan club of the St. Louis Browns? Like, how would you stumble upon these people and find them? Um, I kind of knew that uh, I, I, I lived in St. Louis for a while, so I knew that there was this uh, that they had this luncheon every year. This like St. Louis Browns luncheon, which I think was kind of a reunion of the, the living players. And I, I lived there a while ago, so there were more players still alive. And so I just kind of Googled and looked for, you know, St. Louis Brown's luncheon and uh, went from there and, and found this guy. And then uh, he put me in touch with, with the other two that I talked to. And, and you know, it usually kind of goes that way, like Googling, uh, using people that I know uh, already in the, you know, Maybe in this case, it'd be like, I know people in St. Louis, like, hey, do you know anybody who is part of that organization that uh, that does the Browns things? And yeah, you, 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 have, you know, I'm, I'm a professional reporter. I can I can find people. The 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 hardest thing, I think, is um, coming up with the story ideas. And then the second hardest thing is is just that is is finding people and and getting them getting them to talk to you. It, it can be a challenge and it can take a long time. Uh, I have a story about a uh, a coach in Houston, a high school football coach in Houston, um, who, as a player, never won a game in high school. He, his high school was in the middle of the longest losing streak in high school football history when he was there. And then he went and played in college at Prairie View A&M, and they were also in the longest losing streak in co- in NCAA history. So his entire time in high school, his entire time in college, he never never played on a team that won a game. Wow! Oh my gosh! And then he became a coach, and both of those teams lost eighty exactly eighty games in a row, which is you know ten years, and um, and so then he became a coach at his alma mater. And uh, wait, who let him be a coach after? That doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah. Hey, this guy's never won a game in his career. You know what he'd be great at? <laughs> Teaching others how to win. He was the one. He, you know, he was the one good player they had, and uh, and so yeah, his coach, the guy, who, his coach at the high school, the guy who came in during his senior year and who eventually uh, turned it around. You know, got broke the losing streak, and uh, eventually they went to the state playoffs. Which you know, this is Texas. Um, they went to the state playoffs. So he hired him as an assistant kind of right out of college. And he was an assistant there for several years. And then when that, that coach retired, he became the head coach. And they're now, they've now gone to this era where, you know, an inner city high school in Houston is probably never going to go to the state playoffs again because they've now built these $50 million stadiums for the suburban schools and they have all the money and they're just playing in different universes. But 
you know, they're now just like, uh, just like every other high school, a solid team. And, um, they win some and they lose some. And, and he's, uh, you know, just sort of this beloved coach at the school. And he's, uh, you know, he's this, I, I, I accidentally found this story. I was looking for something else. I was looking for like a beat down, like, you know, you hear about high school teams losing 150 to nothing. I was looking for something like that. And that's what I was wanting to do the story on. And I accidentally came across this story of the two 80 game losing streaks. And it took me forever to find this guy. I just could not reach him. I knew that he was the coach at this high school in Houston. And I just couldn't reach him because, you know, he's a public school teacher. And when you, leave, I don't know if you guys have kids in the public schools, but you know, you leave a message at the office, it doesn't get to where it's going where, oh, yeah, to the sure. intended target. And you send him an email and you know, it doesn't get there. And so I thought he was stonewalling me. And I finally through like, I kind of worked connections and found that guy uh, there's one in every town who's like the guy who knows everything about high school football and he throws the banquets and you know that kind of thing and he put me in touch with him and as soon as I got his cell phone number and I called him and he's like yeah come, you know that happy to talk come on down and so I went down to Houston and uh, and did this story and what'd you find out what did I find out? Uh, again, I found, you know, he has this, uh, I mean, the funniest thing that happened was that, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of a high school football coach guy and he's kind of inspirational. And he's got a lot of, uh, you know, sort of sayings and stuff. And he's just a, he's just a great guy. And so, uh, I, I said, what, you know, he arranged for that. I could talk to some of his players and that was happening after I talked to him. And, uh, I said, when I talk to your players, What's that thing that you say all the time that, you know, they're going to roll their eyes and say, oh, coach says that all the time. What's that thing you're always saying about the losing streak? And he goes, you know what? Believe it or not, we, we don't talk about it. We never talk about it. These kids weren't born yet. They don't know. We just don't talk about it. And so I go and I talk to the kids and I said, coach says that you guys never talk about the losing streak and they both were like he talks about it all the time it's all he talks about i was on a team that lost 80 straight games and so i thought that was funny um but he he just kind of like so they tell you, know, you again he's just, so he tells you you know it doesn't bother me at all and then all of a sudden you know that's what you talk about yeah. what you talk about is what you are yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think right. I, it, it had a real effect on him, I think. And I, and I think if you, if, I think he, I he does I admit don't even it mean that, I don't even mean that in a negative sense, but that's just, yeah. you, know, you know, what you talk about is who you are. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I mean, he knows, like, he's, he's never going to escape that. He's always going to be the guy who, you know, played on those two losing teams, but he's, uh, you know, the the title of the episode is uh, something he said. He said, we always say, you know, we, did, we didn't win any games, but we kicked it like national champions. The way you handle, handle yourself. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, what has been your favorite story to cover in this? Because as you mentioned before, it's not really inspirational or motivational. So how, you know, how do you feel in covering some of these stories? I I just I really enjoy learning about the the stories and and seeing you know just talking to people around them. I, I really enjoyed a story that I did uh, about a horse um, that's that, that's actually coming up in a couple of weeks. There was a horse named Zippy Chippy, 
who lost a hundred straight times, never, never won a race, lost a hundred times. And usually thoroughbred okay. racehorses. At, Set you know, that up. Where yeah. at? Where, where, where was this horse taken? Uh, and he, where, where did this horse compete at? He competed. He made his debut at uh, Belmont. He was, uh, he's from up, he was from like Saratoga. And so his first run was at Belmont. And then after a, not too many races at Belmont, he went to, uh, he raced at the big track in Boston that I can never remember its name. And then, um, he kind of ends up at this park in upstate New York, sort of near Rochester called Finger Lakes. And, and he races there for a good long time. And, you know, thoroughbred racehorse, you lose 15 times or something. It's like, okay, out to the pasture. They don't keep running you. But he had this kind of crazy owner who loved him. Um, He traded a pickup truck for him. He had, you know, he was was sold the first time for like $10,000. And then he was sold to a a track hand for like $2,000. And then the track hand sold him to his boss for a truck, uh, you know, an old beaten up, beaten down truck. And uh, he ended up he ended up running at like county fa- county fairs in Massachusetts, was like kind of the only places he could run. But he was incredibly popular. He was a sensation in upstate New York and Massachusetts. People loved this horse, he, this underdog horse that always lost. They would bet him up so that he was the favorite. He, he like his last twenty races, he went off as the favorite. <laughs> and um i mean he was on he was one of people magazine's 50 most interesting people one year and uh you know he's on good morning america and all this stuff and he was just really popular and he had a couple of stunts where he like raced a a baseball player in the outfield at, at the rochester red wings park and um just all this crazy stuff and then so he retires and, uh, and, oh, and also, also, by the way, it's, he's not this happy-go-lucky, you know, Fernando the Bull kind of loser. He's this ornery horse that you can't get close to, um, you know, kind of mean. He bites. And um, so anyway, he, get, he eventually retires to a thoroughbred retirement farm where, so wait, so you wait, know, there are so great why did, champions. Why did yeah. people take to him then if he's not like, you know... Well, because if you're a fan, you don't know that he's, That's true. you know, if, if you get close the to races, him in, in the paddock. Yeah. yeah, you're just watching. He's just a story. Um, and so he uh, he retires to this farm and they have, you know, horses that have won the Preakness and, you know, have won $20 million in prizes and stuff. And he's this horse that lost 100 races, uh, pulled in something like $30,000 in his whole career. And he is the, the main attraction there. And through donations because of him and merchandise with him, he basically pays for the upkeep of these, you know, 15 other champion racehorses. So he, he kind of comes out as the, you know, he's their champion at this point. So I, I just thought that was a, a terrific story. I, I heard about it again, accidentally, and, uh, and decided to go. And, and I, I went to the farm in, in upstate New York and uh, interviewed his the, the woman who runs the farm who refers to herself as Zippy's mom. And uh, I, I interviewed a guy who wrote a book, uh, a guy named William Thomas, who's a very funny Canadian writer. He's like a newspaper columnist in, in Canada, syndicated. And he wrote a book called The Legend of Zippy Chippy that came out a year or two ago. And I, I interviewed him, and he was terrific. And, 
and I I interviewed Zippy a little bit. He he sort of chewed <laughs> into. <laughs> she fed him uh, those peppermint, those swirly peppermint candies, you know, and he crunched them and it made a great sound. That's so. amazing. Uh, that was my interview with Zippy. Did Chippy. Zippy have the same jockey the entire time? Every time he lost? No, no. He went through he went through several jockeys, and um, you know sometimes the jockeys would be like, "I, I don't want to ride this horse anymore." For personality <laughs> reasons, personality. sometimes for losing reasons. <laughs> nice the, uh, the there's a great story where he ran he ran the the race again. They had the stunt at the Rochester Red Wings game where they had a. A baseball player uh, race him in the outfield, and it was a forty-yard race. Um, and uh, Zippy was kind of like out there on the outfield grass and kind of looking around. And he's like, "Oh, this grass is pretty good." And they, you know, they start the race, and so he gets kind of a late start, and um, and he's, you know, the the player beats him. You know, he's gaining on him because he's uh, he's still he's a horse. You know, <laughs> and uh, he's gaining on him, and he. Uh, so uh, this author, William Thomas, he goes and he talks to the jockey and he said, what, what, what the hell happened? They're like a, a horse's stride is 26 feet and a, a person's stride is like six feet. How did this horse lose? And he said, uh, the jockey said, well, we had a pretty good race, but we just ran out of real estate. <laughs> I mean, I would be really That's sad true. covering all of these stories. I feel sad for the horse already. I'm going to have to listen to that one. Yeah, that's coming up in uh, in two weeks. the The new shows come out on Monday, and it's you know it's on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and and wherever you get podcasts. Um, and I I, I release them through a podcast network called V Sporto at vsporto.com, which where you can also listen to it. And um, all of my social media is can't win podcast, uh, except for Facebook, which is can't win for losing with the number four. So that's all my big pitching. But I, I, I didn't find it. I was going to say, Bree, I, I disagree with you. Yeah. I think I think that these are all stories. They're like, what's next? You know, what's positive? You know, you don't see it that way though. Well, I guess I'm just used to kind of an optimistic take. <laughs> I don't know. I go back and forth to being the losing happens, but then, you know, what's the, what's the next step? I know. I mean, I'm obviously a a fan of a losing city for the most part, so it shouldn't surprise me, but I feel sad for myself all the time. Ouch. (laughs) Matt's choking. I think that I think that people, uh, you know, I think everybody identifies with the concept. You know, when I when I tell people what the podcast is about, I, I or, or just when you listen to the podcast, I mean, I just think everybody, we've all lost. We all lose more than we win. Most of us lose more than we win, you know. I've never lost a day in my life. So really? Every job you've applied for, you've gotten. Every, every single day thing you've man. asked for, you've gotten. A hundred percent. most of us. Most of us <laughs> do a set of losing. Uh, both in sports and in life, and and I think you can identify, and and I think that there, I mean, there's humor in it, and there's uh, there's identification in it, and there is some kind of like, um, you know, happy endings sometimes where you know, oh well, this they, this person's life came out, you know, the guy in Houston, his name is Michael Porter, the football coach. He says, you know, I I feel like I'm not still losing, you know, I don't feel it's not. It's not weighing on me, uh, you know. It's it's obviously it's a big part of his life, but he says I don't I don't feel like I'm losing. And and he uh, a lot of times these people become good at 
um, sort of advising other people who are going through tough times and, you know, the, it, it builds a strength in them. Um, I, I think there are stories like this that, um, that are sad. I mean, I, I not, it's not a story that I did, but, uh, I remember seeing, I think seeing, I think it was a, a, a video about Craig Elo, and it was kind of a sad story. Oh, are you it, really you know, bringing like up kind of a Craig sad Elo? Life. You're really going to do that? I'm bringing oh, up Craig Elo. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, the shot over Craig Elo. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, I think that was a sad story. And and then, but then, you know, I also saw one about um, ESPN, I think, did one about Sean Bradley, who, you know, was just so, so you know, such a joke of a basketball player in a lot of ways. And he's he like... Space Jam, though happy guy you know he's a happy guy he's like i had a great career i had a great time and now i'm you know a retired basketball player and i'm really happy and, and you know it's just not sad at all even though you know a lot of us who couldn't carry his jock uh, you know think he's a, a loser and king as we look back on your career you've obviously been a lot of places you started at salon correct i started at the uh, san francisco examiner before salon, and then uh, th- then I, then I, I worked someplace that was so dumb I don't even remember the name of it, but it was a, it was an early dot com, and I, I just jumped onto it as, as soon as the internet came along. Uh, I jumped at the first dot uh, com job, as we used to say back then, that I could just to get into that world, and then about a year later I went to on salon the and I was web. there forever. Yeah, on the World Wide Web, the information superhighway. <laughs> <laughs> so then and you were at Salon for how many years? I was at Salon for 14 years. I wrote a daily sports column for them for a, a lot of that time. Uh, also did some other stuff, some you know editing, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. And then uh, I moved over in 2011 to Bleacher Report, just as they were kind of try- starting the transition from slideshows user-generated content and, and, and babe slideshows to trying to do a more of a professional, uh, high quality, uh, sports coverage. And, and I was brought in as to try to, you know, start that, help start that process of, of improving the quality. So if you don't mind me asking, I'd like to ask about your time at Bleacher Report. Um, I don't know what you're willing to talk about, but what was that like? Because I know that, um, I, I'm a Barstool guy and I know that that's in contention with Bleacher Report and everything. Um, I'm just curious as to funny. what it was like. Which is uh, funny to from... me. I, I will have to interject here. Here we go. Why is that? Here You're a go. barstool guy, okay? You're a barstool guy, right? Correct. And barstool Correct. is kind of like, you know, on the fringes, you know, of... What What did you do? Uh, you were a Eagle Scout, correct? That was correct. correct. Barstool. The Eagle Scouts over there? Not so much. I think I think you're severely underestimating what okay. Barstool is. All right. No, I'm just saying. No, it's fine. And I, I don't know what King's right, perception right, right. is on I'm it. Just I, I know. I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't know what his perception is on say, it. Um, he could have a very good perception. Contra- he could have a very poor. If he worked at Bleacher Report for years, he might have contrary a very poor Contrary to your persona. That's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Perhaps. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, King, I, back to the actual question. What... Um, what was it like from the inside trying to grow from something that was uh, very based off just trying to get page views like the Babe slideshows, like you said, and the 
you know, user generated content into actual sports reporting and actual um, like trying to make real content because I've witnessed that over several different websites and Bleach Report is one of them. And I'm yeah. just curious what that's like on the inside. It's a, you know, it's a struggle and it's, um, it, it's really a, a matter of um, kind of a, a little bit boring, like putting in place uh, processes and, and um, systems and uh, figuring out who's, who's got potential uh, of this, you know, we have this huge writer base of unpaid writers who among these people have potential? Who should we uh, not waste our time on? Um, and and what does it mean? Like you sort of have to figure out what does it mean when you say I want high quality or higher quality content? What does that look like? And we had to kind of figure that out. And then we had to communicate it. And then we had to teach people. Uh, so there, I always said that a lot of my job in the early years, it's, it was kind of like I was the I was the dean of a correspondence journalism school because you know, I, I never met most of these people, but I communicated with them through email and just, you know, giving them educational materials and giving them feedback on their writing and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's a little painstaking, but it's, it's, um, it's not that magical. It's just um, trying to identify people who are, who are able to do the work you want them to do and then trying to figure out how you incentivize them to do it, which, you know, kind of the secret of that is you pay them. Yeah. And uh, which is, you know, eventually what happens when uh, eventually there's there's some money to do that. I mean, I think that I, the unpaid writers, I think, um, you know, there was a value proposition for them. They got, you know, a much bigger audience and they got the back end of Bleacher Report and they got editing and stuff they weren't going to get if they were writing their own blog. But at some point, you're you're only going to do that if you're, so if you're really good at it. You're not going to do that forever without getting paid, and nor exactly. should you. And that's a very similar thing to what SB Nation is going through right now. That's right. Um, and I I wrote for an SB Nation blog. I did, I did video content for an SB Nation blog for a year, the Reds one, and it was great. And it was great, and I got an audience. But mm-hmm. at some point, I have to justify the amount of time that I'm putting in for the return that I'm getting on it. Right. And that's right. And I'm sure so over and Bleacher SB, Report figured that out. And Bleacher Report and every 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 website, sports and not, that's doing this, they're like, how are we in, how are we going to incentivize people to you know continue to write and to and to work on the quality of their journalism and stuff? You know, and at some point, it always kind of you, you know you come down to you know we've had this system in place for a couple of thousand years where people can get people to do the work that they want them to do. And that system is you pay them money. And um, so there's this sort of gravity towards that that I think is, that I think is inevitable. Yeah, and I, I think that especially with – and Bleach Report has figured that out. Um, I think that when you look at the trajectory of SB Nation, Bleach Report, Barstool, any of the websites like that, The Ringer, anybody like that, you notice there's a direct correlation from the quality of the content to the payment of the people creating it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that that's. A, I get that's, paid. Nothing. You get what you pay for. Is as old as. Bree, <laughs> how much? Is why do you get, get this podcast? I so get far. paid with love. Love. <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> so cheesy. But uh, I mean, when you Alara, look at what Alara, Bleach Report is doing now. For this Wait, oh, I Venmo you all the time. <laughs> you know that is not true. 
That's okay. to pay for the services. I'm not paying for. I'm I mean, you could be using anything. it for something else. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm the sorry. money's coming out of my my uh, account, and then I'm refilling it back in once I once I okay, get payment from you guys. I'm starting to catch on here that I'm not going to get paid for this. <laughs> sorry, King. Well, you you're you get paid double of what all of us Enjoy are getting. Paid. I stayed up late. It's because you're a Golden State <laughs> fan. <laughs> That's why. Yes, I deserved that. <laughs> so, and I think it's important to look at. So, you started in Bleach Report in what, 2011? Is that correct? Yes, that's right. And then you just recently left. Um, and yes. I, you were head of writing, is that correct? Or head uh, of. I, I did. I, I was the head of the, what was called the writer program, which is that group of unpaid writers. And we started paying writers right when I got there. And it was a, a slow transition to more and more professionalization until finally. Um, we completely discontinued the the unpaid part of it, and you know what's funny is we got we got criticized a lot, and and I think you know justifiably so for uh, not paying writers for a long time after we'd been you know bought by Turner and like why is this big company that you know was a hundred and seventy five million dollar purchase or whatever it was uh, why are they not paying people and then but we by that time we had this this group of the the group of unpaid writers which was maybe 50 people at that point if we tell those pe- those are the people who had stuck it out through several years of this and and they were really they just wanted to write and and they were pretty good but they you know they just wanted to write and they were mostly like you know whatever by day cowboys writer by night you know uh, accountant by day and and we were at the point where if we said you can't write for us anymore, you know, we were afraid we were going to have a riot on our hands uh, for saying like you can't write for us for free anymore. And and the people who were really going to be mad was those people that we weren't paying. Um, and we actually struggled with that for for quite a while before we finally kind of pulled the trigger and uh, you know we tried to let them down gently. Um, but after that, I, I did a few other things, and uh, the last thing I was doing for the last year or two was. I was and I was editing uh, longer form pieces, the sort of the more magazine style uh, pieces that we were doing. Some of it for the yeah, uh, like for the Bill UK Simmons site, Bleach Report UK. You doing like What's Bill that? Simmons stuff? No, 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 no. no. That's the Ringer. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Different, yeah. different, and different. not Bill Simmons style. No, oh, yeah. it was Bleach Report had this uh, this you know a long form project where you know it was it was the kind of stuff you read in, in sports illustrated or Grantland or, you know, Esquire, uh, long form reported pieces. And, uh, and I was working with, uh, fair. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I think some of the Grantland stuff was like that. Um, and I, I was working with the UK side of, of the site. And, uh, so I was learning a new language, English and, uh, um, and working on a lot of football, not by which I mean soccer. So, and I, and I think that since you were there from 2011 to 2017, you got to see the transition from written content to video to podcasts. Yeah. And I'm sure that was very interesting for you since when you started there, uh, written content was king. And by the time you left, it was all video and podcast that was king. And social, yeah. I mean, and social uh, media, exactly. Bleach Report wasn't heavily involved in podcasting at, at the time that I left. I mean, there were a couple of podcasts, but um, yeah, it was it was video and, and social media. 
and it was i mean it was there was still like i said there was this long form project and there there's still plenty of plenty of print stuff but uh you know the pivot to video is is where i got laid off so that was a change but yeah i mean it was a it was a it was a transformation i mean the place went through several transformations while i was there it's one of the it's one of the things i liked about it is that it's an agile company and willing to try new things and and willing to to change and kind of turn on a dime and and sometimes you're that's fun and you're along for the ride and then sometimes you're the one that's getting left behind and so i kind of you know when i got laid off people asked me like were you expecting to get laid off and i was like i was expecting to get laid off from the second day i worked here i just didn't know which day it would be um and so you know it was six years it was you know i i mean it's i think it was um because Bleacher Report is so agile and is so willing to change, it, it sort of went through those transformations from one type of site to the next faster than most, but it was, it's basically going through the same machinations that other sites are going through. Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, when we look at the landscape of what media is today, it's moving away from uh, the big big companies like Fox Sports and other stuff and moving towards companies like Bleacher Report, The Ringer, SB Nation, Barstool, and, and the sort. And those, it, it's really interesting watching how that transition is happening and people are coming to the realization that it's not all big businesses who are uh, making all the content anymore and who know what's best. Yeah, although I would say that there's there's always consolidation where you know the smaller companies that are that are willing to try things they come up with new things and and because the media landscape changes so fast that it, it's going to be the smallest smaller companies that are that innovate and then they kind of get they either become or more likely get swallowed up by the bigger companies so you know that I mean Bleacher Report is is not a small company it's owned by Turner which is Time Warner and uh you know the Ringer got money from HBO which is Time Warner and you know, I mean, it's Fox like is churning groups. Is 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 getting into bed with ESPN, which is Disney. Um, so you know, these things, they're they're again, there's kind of a gravity towards towards the big companies, and you know, we're all going to be owned by Facebook in a few years anyway. So <laughs> good point. Matter. Good point. Or Snapchat. <laughs> so King, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Or eh, it'll be Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Facebook is king. It's you wouldn't believe how huge Facebook is. It blows my mind. Every time I see any metrics from Facebook, it boggles my mind. King, do you have any final uh, thoughts? Do you want to plug the podcast one more time? Do you want to give your social where yeah, people can find I you so I, where I they can listen to your stuff? I appreciate the opportunity. It's called Can't Win for Losing. It's a podcast about losing. It is audio documentaries. Uh, the episodes are on the shorter side. They're about usually between about 20 and 25 minutes. So it's not a huge investment. Uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can look at our website, which is can'twinpodcast.com. Twitter and Instagram are both Can't Win Podcast, and Facebook is Can't Win for Losing. And uh, I've created one season, 12 weeks. Uh, we're four weeks into it. It comes A new episode comes out every Monday morning. And uh, if I can build enough of an audience, I will hopefully be able to do a season two so that I can uh, come back to Ireland and do the the curse of County Mayo, which I've learned about while I was here, and uh, and lots of other stories that uh, I wasn't able to get to in in season one. And so, uh, please give it a try. And and if you like it, 
give us give us the little review and the the five star rating and uh and we can we can keep going and when i say we that's complete bullshit because you know i'm a one-man operation <laughs> i'm just trying to make myself look bigger by saying we oh yeah, yeah trust me, me we we try to make our we have a hundred thousand listeners who listen to this podcast you yes. don't check the numbers on that but it's accurate so and uh, and actually, I, I I do get help from uh, from one guy named Jeffrey Reddick, who's a, a terrific uh, veteran public radio guy who puts kind of the last level of polish on my amateurish editing. So I'm not completely a one man operation. So um, this this week. This next Monday will be the Cleveland episode of your podcast. No, correct? that's that's out now. You go oh, get now. that I right bet. now. I bet. Uh, so you Cleveland can go and the Chicago Cubs and that other team, and uh, that's that's out now. And then uh, next Monday we've got the San Diego Superchargers and the St. Louis Browns. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. and P. Chris, do you have any final uh, thoughts? No, no, I do not. This was fun. Thank you. No. Nothing. You've been gone for two weeks and you have zero final <laughs> no. thoughts. Uh, King, go ahead and send that to me um, via Twitter. Um, all your your um, everything about your show. So be great. Okay. Yep. Please do. Okay. And um, we'll do. No, that was fun. I appreciate it. See y'all. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks. Thanks so much. Not a problem. Uh, Bree, any quick Go final Cavs. thoughts before nice we Nice to bounce? talk to you, King. Same. Nice to meet you. And with that, we will take you guys out with the sweet, sweet sounds of Smash Mouth. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>